out of the shotgun again. This crowd roaring. Takes the snap. Sets up. Sets up. Throws one over the net. Intercepted. Marlon Jackson. Marlon's got it. We're going to the Super Bowl. Listening to the Hoosier State Sports Show with Adam and Joey. Blood is running down my face, tears are forming in my eyes. Father always told me pain is temporary, keep in stride. Lift your head up, don't you cry. Fighters always will survive. That hurt you feel inside can only mean that you're alive. Keep your head down and digging. God will provide you vision and lead you where you need to be. If you just shut up and listen. Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to the Hoosier State Sports Show. My name is Joey. As always, I'm joined by my friend Adam. How are you doing today, Adam? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. Still on summer break. Just excited for what lies ahead for me for sure. Yep, that's awesome. Just a heads up for everyone, I am recording outside today, enjoying this beautiful summer evening. So if there's any background noise, I apologize for that. But with that, Adam, you want to let us know what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, so this week we're going to cover that Finally, Pacers draft week is here. Are the fever turning things around? And then finally, the Colts are wrapping up OTAs. So, yep. Joey, I don't know about you, but let's just kind of jump into the bulk of what our episode is going to be about with the Indiana Pacers. So, let's do it, as I, as I just said, it is officially draft week. We are two days away. It will take place at thir- on Thursday night at 8 p.m. So excited to see what ends up ultimately happening. But... I want to start by discussing what is on the rumor mill for the team as of right now. So first things first, Sports Illustrated reported on Tuesday that the Pacers are having active discussions for picks 26, 29, and 32. So I don't know about you, Joey, but I'm kind of surprised that it's not pick 55 and maybe pick seven. But I do hear a lot of rumors about teams trying to move up into the first round teams that don't have picks trying to acquire picks. I know Denver is going to be very active, so I wouldn't be surprised maybe to see a trade with them. And then you got a lot of contenders like Phoenix that are going to have to try to rebuild their rosters after making some big trades this week. Yeah, but we've talked about in weeks past with the abundance of picks, it puts the Pacers in a premium position where they have that luxury to field those trade talks. So whether or whether or not that amounts to anything, I don't know, but definitely a good position for the Pacers to be in to have that kind of leverage. Certainly. So moving on into some other press, and this, I believe, has a little more traction. This was just reported last Thursday, but it kind of takes a turn away from those three picks we just discussed, and it talks about pick seven. So the Pacers are willing to trade the pick, but they want a high-level wing player or wing players to do it. And I'm going to allude to someone that I have some interest in acquiring in just a moment. But in other news, Grady Dick, who is a wing from Kansas, had a private workout with the team this week. So you have Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker, Taylor Hendricks, and now Grady Dick is the four players that have had private workouts with the team. So those those are guys on the rookie end that seem to be probable picks. Moving on into some more veteran-based concepts, because we also want to talk about trades as well. So Kyle Kuzma and Grant Williams are rumored to have interest from Indy via free agency for Kuzma, and then a trade potentially for Grant Williams. But I'm hearing more on Grant Williams back and forth that Boston might try to sign him still. So 
Kuzma's stat line is pretty interesting, though. Last year, he averaged a career high as a 27-year-old with 21.2 points a game, 7.2 rebounds, and almost four assists. And then, just for reference, shoots about 45% from the field and 33 from the three-point line. So he's your small forward, able to stretch into power forward type. So there's that. There's that news. Um, there is rumored interest in OG Aniobi from the Pacers as well, but it is less plausible because Toronto has been reluctant to move him in a deal, but it is somewhat plausible because Toronto also is trying to move up in the draft. So maybe a surprise finally from Toronto and they just kind of let it go. There is a great quote that one of the NBA scouts was talking about with how Toronto has been hanging on to that pick. And if I can remember it later, I'll allude back to it. But in some more veteran-based news, and this is based on both the team and players involved on the team, but DeAndre Ayton, I mentioned him because he was briefly a pacer with an offer sheet before Phoenix re-signed him. A lot of press with him potentially getting moved. He's less plausible for us to get because we cannot acquire him till after July 15th because there is some clause about a year where we couldn't trade for him. So Aiton probably does get dealt by Phoenix, that being said, because Beal presents a problem with them not now being able to get a bench. And then two more bits of news real quick. The Mavericks are linked to Buddy Heald, and that's not really a surprise. Uh, the team is in their final year of contracts with Buddy Heald, so there could be extension discussions, but that has not been reported at all. I've only heard Tyrese Halliburton, who we've talked about and is not a surprise, and then Aaron Neesmith. So the other guys on the team that are free agents next year, it sounds like the team's looking to maybe let them go. And Dallas does need a shooting guard right now until they know what Kyrie's future is down there. And then finally, this was just reported yesterday, the Pacers, according to Mark Stein, do have some interest in Harrison Barnes, who is also that small forward, power forward, hybrid mix. So, Joey, what does the perspective news tell you about what way you think the team is leaning in terms of how they want to acquire players, maybe what positions they're looking at? Well, first, let me just say it. Here in a minute, when we get into our mock drafts, mine doesn't really reflect this, but my perspective is this definitely seems like a team that is willing and ready to make those kind of moves come draft night or even the you know, today or tomorrow leading up to it. So definitely a team who I think sounds like they're ready to finally be aggressive. I know you've talked a lot lately about how little the Pacers do to try to take that next step forward. But outside of that, you know, Carlisle has been saying for a week or two, and you've been saying it even longer than that, you need to get more versatile, especially in that power forward position. So whether that be through the draft or a, a trade move or something, it definitely sounds like a team that's ready to be aggressive and get some of these things shored up for next season. Certainly can agree with that as well. So you, like you said, we did talk about it with the power forward needs. The team does have five picks. So we mentioned it on the podcast last week. So I thought it would be fun to do a mock draft on what the Pacers picks are going to be. And Joey, because I, had to share first last week on my thoughts on Purdue. I'm going to make you share your mock draft first this week. So I want to hear what your thoughts are. And then I think mine's going to kind of be a surprise from what I've previously been thinking. So I'll let you go ahead. Uh, yeah, I can do that. So like I just said, 
I do think that the Pacers are going to be pretty active. I wouldn't be surprised if one, two, or more of these draft picks get traded before the end of the draft. But just for the simplicity, I decided to go with no trades and mock out my draft with the picks they already have. So with that being said, I'll dive into their first-round lottery pick at pick, pick number seven. I have them taking Jairus Walker, the power forward out of Houston. Now, I believe that Whitmore, who you've talked about in the last couple of weeks, will be gone by the time the Pacers' first pick rolls around. I've seen a number of draft picks that have him going top five, possibly even. Yeah. But I do think that the Pacers will have their pick between either of the two power forwards we talked last week, which was Walker and Hendricks. But ultimately, I think that it's the edge that Walker has on three-point shooting that gives him the nod. So, Jairus Walker with pick one, in my opinion. Okay. And later in round one at pick 26, I have the Pacers taking Rayan Rupert. I hope I'm saying that name right. He's a shoot, He's a French shooting guard. Previously played in New Zealand. And as I mentioned, and you've talked about, shooting guard's another position that could have some turnover this year. We don't know the future of guys like Buddy Heald and all that. But I think it's a position that ultimately could use some help for the Pacers. Now, Rupert had, for a while, been rumored to be a, a lottery pick, potentially. But it seems he's fallen off in a lot of mock drafts. And there's even a few mock drafts that have him dropping all the way out of the first round. But... One thing that I would like to know is the Pacers have the privilege with having so many picks bunched up here, you know, a couple late in the first and early in the second, that they can kind of take a chance on some of these bubble guys. So I think that's the reason that the Pacers take a chance on Rupert here at pick 26, which leads me into pick 29, just two picks later. And this is where I have the Pacers drafting Gigi Jackson, power forward out of South Carolina. And just like I said with Rupert, Jackson's a guy that mocked very end of the first round, early second round, but similarly, the Pacers have that privilege to take a chance at some of these guys. The biggest thing that's affecting Jackson's draft stock and the reason he's fallen so low in the first round is his age. Right now, he's 18 and a half years old, and he is the youngest player in this year's draft, so I definitely think that plays part in it, but if I'm the Pacers, and we've talked about how young they are already, adding in another young guy with all kinds of potential that you can kind of groom into being the player you want is always a plus. So at pick 29, I took GG Jackson. Now that takes us into round number two. And Adam, I got to tell you this. I contemplated long and hard about taking your boy Trace Jackson Davis here for the Pacers. But as I mentioned, I took two power forwards in the first round, so I couldn't justify it. But instead, at pick 32, I had the Pacers taking Andre Jackson Jr., who is a shooting guard slash shooting for slash small forward out of UConn. Now Jackson was an important piece to UConn's run to the national championships last year, obviously. And that's really what propelled him to the position he's in now. Uh, Jackson waited until the last possible day to announce that he'd be staying in the draft, and not returning to UConn. So I assume he got some kind of guarantees from some teams. And in most draft boards, he he's projected anywhere from late first to mid-second round, so this falls right in that area, and I believe the flexibility to move between shooting guard and small forward would make him appealing to the Pacers and him at 32. And then that leads me into the final pick for the Pacers, round two, pick 56, and this one's just kind of a wild card. I don't, a lot of people don't see him getting drafted, but I have him taking Chris Livingston out of, or out of Kentucky, small forward. 
So Livingston's a guy that kept his name in the draft despite most mock drafts not having him being selected. But there's a number of drafts that do have him going near the end of the second round. And I do mean near the end, like many drafts have him as the very last pick of the draft. But he had a pretty quiet freshman year at Kentucky, scoring just below seven points a game. But he did shoot 31% from three. So I think that alone is something that a team could look at and think he's worth taking a chance on. So if I'm the Pacers, I, I look for Livingston to be a player that, you know, somewhat of a project piece think the Pacers had the luxury of taking just due to the quantity of picks they have this year so but I wanted to get it over to you the actual Pacers fan and I'll I'll let you throw your draft out there and then we can kind of discuss our thoughts on each other's after that if you want well I'm going to take a very different trajectory and it's so different I don't believe it's going to take very long for it to happen so I'll start with seven I believe that the seventh pick does, in fact, get traded. There's been a lot of uh, ish or not issues, but there's been a lot of news on the rumor mill that if the team can get a high quality power forward or a small forward, they're going to trade that pick. And OG Aniobi, with one year left on his Toronto contract, and Toronto's wanting an arm and a leg, they get an early pick for him. They have seven and 10 to pick from. And then if they want to move up for something else, they have all the power in the world to do it. I do think if that trade happens, it'll happen tomorrow before the draft so that Toronto can plan better. But I think it's just going to be a simple swap of those two. So I debated 26 and this is my IU bias coming in. There's a lot of mock drafts that have Trace Jackson Davis going to Portland at 23 and with their rumors of trying to trade their center slash power forward, Justin Norkick, there is room for them to draft them him, and I understand that. But I just think that I don't see him going 23. I don't think, you know, the elevation of talent is that much of a drop-off. I think he'll, he'll go a little further down to us. So at 26, I think that's how we acquire the power forward that we need. But what my interesting or what my perspective is on this, where we go with 29 and 32 is there are a lot of teams willing to trade first rounders next year. And yes, the drop off in talent is there. But my, my thing is, this is a young team already. You know, you kind of alluded to adding young players because they're a young team. I just don't really see the sense and urgency in doing that. Rick Carlisle is probably in a, make it or get fired year this year with the Pacers. The aspirations are clearly there to make the playoffs. I think if he fails out, the team's going to want a backup plan for next year. So I think 29 and 32 ultimately get dealt along with Isaiah Jackson. And I say Isaiah Jackson because you have Trace Jackson Davis in my scenario coming in. So you're going to need a new power. Or you're going to need to trade a power forward. And then before I get to pick 55, the other thing with my mock draft too is that, and we'll discuss this further in length in a minute, we have three slots open and you're going to want to sign free agents. I think it's as simple as you're trying to trade picks and, and move picks away and acquire talent for next year. So I do see 29 and 32 getting dealt. I could see 32 maybe going 
to Dallas in a Buddy Healed type of deal. What we get back in that, I don't know what that looks like. 29, I could see maybe Toronto wanting, you know, as a part of getting OG. And I've heard they want multiple firsts and a high quality player for OG. So there's value there, certainly. But anyway, I, I could see everything but 26 getting dealt to that point. And then finally at 55, um, I, I don't have the stat lines you do. And I didn't do the research. I'm just basing it on workouts for the past week and who's been mocked in the range. But at 55, I have two main Camara, small forward from Dayton getting drafted. I do think there's going to be a need at that position this year because you're going to want competing bodies for minutes. But Duarte isn't working out. Buddy Heald, as I said, I think gets traded. So my one thing I want to add in there, and I mentioned his name earlier for good measure, but I think the Pacers are going to try to sign Kyle Kuzma from out of Washington. So I could see him with his 21 points coming in and just being put in as the small forward starter potentially. And I'll get your thoughts here in just a second. But as I went through and looked at the draft, I thought long and hard about Jairus Walker. I've seen the stats on Whitmore probably being gone. Hendricks isn't as good as a defender and the team ranked, as I said, pretty much 26th for the whole season in that. So I think the team is going to try to get better defensive players through means of acquiring them through trade, not so much trying to get, you know, young draft picks to add to an already young team. So I want to get your thoughts on how you think this all shapes out and your thoughts on my draft as well. Um, my my first thought on your draft is I'm kind of surprise i do agree with you that i do see a lot of these picks being traded like i said the re only reason i didn't do it in my mock draft is for the sim simplicity sake but my question for you is this is how you think it'll play out but how would you feel if that's how it went down because you've been pretty vocal about them bringing in a power forward that is versatile much like carlisle said last week and i know you mentioned taking trace jackson davis towards the end of the first round but if you're trading the number seven pick for a guy like OG, I, I don't see where you're really addressing that need to get a versatile power forward. I know we've talked Trace Jackson Davis is developing that game, but we can both agree he's not there yet. Is, are you putting your hope in his ability to develop that game, or is there someone out in maybe free agency that you're looking to bring in to fill that role, or what are your thoughts well, on that? Well, that's what I mentioned with Kuzma coming in and maybe being that power forward. But I, I do think the team needs to address having maybe more of a veteran presence. Like, I'm sorry, but as a 22-year-old, Tyrese Halliburton should not be the leader of the team. And again, it's not to say because he can't do it. It's the idea that your young point guard is the leader over a more established veteran. But all of that to say, too, you know, one thing I don't think people understand about OG Obi is he's only 25 years old. He won't even turn 26th until in July. So we're talking a young player. Kuzma right now is 27, will soon turn 28. These are not old players, but they're established veterans. They've been in the league for several years. OG, I believe, has been in the NBA six or seven years now, if I'm correct. I, I think he only played his freshman year at IU and then declared and then Kuzma, you know, 
I don't think people remember that he he's played for the Lakers and you know he's played for Washington for a couple of years. I mean he he's been around the league in terms of being on teams, but I do I just feel like this is the year if the Pacers want to make the playoffs, Rick Carlisle has to do something different. I've always believed and you try to draft young if you have early picks, you try to go for veterans if you don't. Like I said, I I fumbled in my brain with with Jarris Walker for so long, but then I thought about it too. Toronto's not trading 26 and 29 for for OG. I think 26 and 29 get dealt maybe for salary cap relief or first round picks next year. I know there's a handful of teams that want to do that as well, but I I just feel like if you're going to make a step, this is the year to do it. If you want to make the playoffs and go all in, you do it. I want to, I want you to think about one thing for a minute. Who's the star on the Denver nuggets. Say that one more time. I'm sorry. Who's the star player for the Denver Nuggets? Jokic. And I'm going to tell you that you're wrong, and here's why. Mm, I don't know, And and anyone else is going to disagree with me on this, but that is a balanced team. Yes, Jokic is known as the best player on it. Not what I'm trying to say. I, I think he's the best player in the sense of statistics. But you look at the balanced approach that that team has, and that's why they win games. They have an, they have a good bench. And so what I'm thinking and envisioning for the Pacers is I think teams are going to try to copy the blueprint the Nuggets have set out. Forget all of these all-star players like Phoenix is getting where it's three or four players. You want a deep bench. The Pacers already have a bench. I don't think we need to look for bench players. And our team is young. I just feel like, you know, you get good starters and you have one guy take over. And I think that's Halliburton ultimately. But think about it. Kuzma had 21 points a game last season. And OG had 17 points a game. You're bringing in a ton of offense through those two moves. And you're getting two young players in the midst of it. Well, and I will agree and disagree with you on Denver. I do agree they are a very balanced team. But I do think you're underselling just a little bit just how dominant of a player Jokic is. Now, I'm not saying that the Pacers can't be that team. We talk about Halliburton all the time. I think he does have the ability to be that superstar, and he's already shown you know spurts of it over his young career. But with that being said, I, I will agree with you that Denver is a balanced team, and these moves that you proposed would make the Pacers a more balanced team, but you would still need Halliburton – or maybe even Kuzma to take that next step up to be a more dominant player if you want to follow Denver's blueprint. I don't think they're getting Kuzma to be the best player on the team. They're get I think it's looking at getting a good player well, to I, fill a to fill a role. I understand that. I, I'm just saying if that's what would happen, Kuzma would be the second best player behind Halliburton, in my opinion, on the team. So I was just throwing out a couple candidates of guys who would need to establish themselves as a more dominant player than they have already but like i said all while it sounds like i'm disagreeing with you i i do agree with your philosophy and all this well and something i want to throw out to everybody is my my logic behind this i want you to hear the age of the stars okay halliburton will be 23 mathurin will be 21 so mathurin's not even 21 years old yet then if you get OG, he'd probably be your small forward. He's going to be 26. Kuzma will be 28. 
Miles Turner is 27. That is a young starting team. Then you look at the bench. Jalen Smith's in his early 20s. Isaiah Jackson, I believe both of them are 22 or 23 respectively. Duarte is like 25, but I could see him getting dealt too. There's been some press on that for a few years. Then you have a couple of other players who, you know, you have McConnell. He's the oldest player at 31. Daniel Theus is 27 as well. Naismith is 23, 24. Yeah, Again, these are... Sorry, yeah. I just said, then you have Buddy Heald up there in H2, but like you said, in your proposition and that I do agree with, I think there's a good chance he gets dealt. Again, I my blueprint is very simple. You get OG on a one-year deal. You sign Kuzma for probably two years. The team, if they fail out, Carlisle gets fired. The veteran approach didn't work. You have some first-round picks that you can use next year to rebuild. It's or retool as the Pacers like to call everything because we never truly rebuild. But again, I think my proposal is more veteran based. Yours is more rookie based. And I don't think there's anything wrong with either one. Yeah, and and again, I, I know I've said it a couple times. I I do fully believe bare minimum one of these picks, if not two, three, or four, get traded. I just wanted to keep it simple for my mock draft because I'll be the first to admit my Pacers knowledge is subpar compared to yours. I mean, you've been a Pacers fan your entire life. I've just recently started following the Pacers, so I didn't want to make a fool out of myself making these lofty moves like you do. But like I said, I do understand and am following your philosophy, and I understand that you have them making. And I think ultimately, I think we both agree on the, the direction. It's small forward and power forward that are needs. I do like the approach you take with shooting guards. And I think the basis that I have for that is, is simple also is if Buddy Heald gets traded, unless you think Mathurin is ready, you need to take another shooting guard behind him. But I think people forget that we have Mathurin too. And, you know, I think when you look at, like I said, that young team, I think anything is possible if they keep developing. But like you said, I think we agree on positions. I think we agree on trades. It's just a matter of how it's going to happen. And we agree on getting power forward, but it's going to be the question of how do they do it? And for those of for those people keeping track, you know, there's been a good history of the pick at number seven. And I believe that's where Steph Curry went for Golden State. You, you know, correct. That. And you also mentioned Denver Nuggets just a minute ago. Murray on the Nuggets was also yep. seventh overall. So there is value at that pick if the Pacers do decide to hold on to that. And maybe it's a little luck. Maybe it's what the team does with them after they get there. But there is value in that pick. And certainly I hope that Toronto feels that same way. Yeah. You know, I understand, bro. Well, I guess we'll find out here soon. Like you said, we're two days away from that draft and I assume one of us will get something up on that on the website after the draft takes place. But Yeah, certainly. But let's go ahead and move on to some more basketball, but in the form of the Indiana Fever. So finally, some good news to report. So the Fever won their first game last Tuesday by a final count of 87 to 66. This was a dominant win. And not only that, it was also their first home win of the season. 
and that was the first one in over a year. So that puts some significance behind that win. Now, Aaliyah Boston in her previous game last Sunday only scored four points. In this game, she put on an absolute clinic. She had 23 points with 14 rebounds and six assists, leading both teams in all three of those categories. So the significance of this is that she is the first rookie in WNBA history to lead both teams in all three. So I don't know about you, but before I get to some more statistics on her for this game, that's that's one heck of a performance for her. And what oh, a absolutely. statement to be making as the all-star break for them comes up very quickly, I might add, absolutely. like I said. But she also became the youngest player in the history of the WNBA with a game of 20 points, 10 rebounds, and five assists while shooting 75% or above. She was 11 of 14 in the game. I don't know if my math is correct, but that's like 78%. That is very, very impressive to me. So with that win, the Fever snapped a six-game losing streak. They also got their first double-digit victory since 2021. So that moved the team to three and six. Now, before I get into some other games for them, too, in that game, Kelsey Mitchell became second in Indiana Fever scoring history, overtaking Katie Douglas, the Purdue coach. So I get to, you know, go against Purdue, anything I can do for a moment of that. But she had a pretty solid game, so 19 points. But Tamia Catchings, who is the Fever's best player in their history, is ahead of her by quite a few points. Kelsey Mitchell would have to score 5,000 more points to catch up. And with the age that she is, that's not going to happen. Yeah, and but, that, that says more about catching than it does Mitchell. We we all know what kind of legendary career Tamika Catchings had. You know, she's one of the best of all time when it comes to the WNBA. And so, again, with that all being said, too, again, big accomplishment for her. I'm glad that she's you know, taken on the point guard position and done very well for, for as many years as she has been with the team. But finally, I want to bring up one other thing. And this was earlier this week. Maybe it's changed since. But as of this week, Aaliyah Boston is fourth in all-star voting for the entire WNBA. So what I want to ask you is, how significant is that if Brittany Griner, who's basically known as the best player, Aja Wilson, who's known as one of the best players, and Brianna Stewart, who are all established veterans, are the only three players above her. What's the significance of that, do you think? Well, it's it's pretty significant in a couple of different ways. I mean, I, I know that she already had a big name coming to the Fever, but she's performed pretty well, especially for it's being her rookie year. But the other thing that's significant, and this is more for, I would say, the Fever as a whole, and you and I talked about this a few weeks ago, the Fever are be- becoming a team in the Indy area, in the Indiana area, that's worth following. You know, I I don't know if it's happened yet, but I could see an increase in attendance coming up in the near future. And you bring a a, a mega star, maybe stats wise, she hasn't deserved that title yet, but name wise, she's already got it. You bring a mega star like that to the team, and you're going to see an increase in popularity with the team. So that's huge on a number of levels. Number one, obviously, you're bringing the fans in. Number two, that could attract even more players to the team 
via free agency years down the road. So I think it's pretty significant. Well, and I would have to say I certainly agree with that as well. You know, the significance of it is, is as a rookie, she's already, you know, up there with established veterans. And, you know, there's a lot of great players in the WNBA that aren't even that high. Now, all of that being said, the number of all-star votes that she has is like 25,000. And I think the leader has 30,000. So it's not a big difference in those votes, which, again, if she ends up being voted as one of the top two players, she gets to be the captain for that game as well. If I'm her and I get put in that kind of position as a rookie, I think it sets the tone for not only the team and how they're elevating themselves, but I think it's going to put the whole league on watch. So that all being said, uh, any of you that want to go out and vote, because I've put in a few votes as well, you know, making sure that we try to get her up there, you know, just send in the vote. You know, it's a, I guess it's not a big deal in terms of significance for certain people, but you know, this is big for the fever because. Oh, sorry, Adam. I was just saying, if you think about it, this is like the one opportunity that fans have a chance to make an impact. Yes. Obviously we want her to get, into that all-star game and maybe even be a captain. But like I alluded to earlier, you have a, a, a name of this significance on your team. It's going to increase the temptation of players to join your team. So in a weird way, it's a way for fans to get themselves involved and may, maybe even make the fever more appealing to other free agents down the road. Well, and I remember a number of years ago when, catchings was becoming really established and the fever were getting pretty far in their playoffs right before they started winning the championship. They did. That's when they got players like Katie Douglas to come in and establish veterans. And they really started doing pretty well. And so, like you said, the significance of that cannot be understated. And I think it's a little different than the NBA because, you know, yes, there's not that many votes. Sure. But, I think there's more of a ability to have an impact and certainly let's do the math here. 20,000 people are not going to fever games given that the Pacers stadium only fits like 17, 18,000, I believe. So the significance of that then too, is that she has a fan base from somewhere that may not just be indie. So I think it really might make people more aware of, Oh, she plays for Indiana. Let's see how they're doing. Oh, let's yeah. maybe tune into some of those games. So I think, like you said, viewership could certainly increase. Now they just need to get Caitlin Clark next year, and it will all come full circle. Yeah, don't get <laughs> me that excited. And for the record, before we kind of get to the end of the Fever's week, because I still have two more games for them to talk about as well, again, that was one win that they got. So that put them, like I said, to three and six. But let's look at the Fever's other two games at a very quick glance. So Thursday night, the Fever won again. They ended up playing Chicago in Chicago and winning by a score of 92 to 90. Kelsey Mitchell had a last-second shot that went in for the team. But in that game, it was, again, Aaliyah Boston leading the way with 19 points and eight rebounds. A name I have not mentioned thus this season, Victoria Vivians, contributed 17 points. So kind of a coming out game for her as well. And I think Mitchell still did pretty well. But then Sunday night, finally, they played again, and they returned home against Atlanta, who 
I don't know if you remember, that was their first win of the season was against Atlanta in Atlanta. So, you know, I kind of thought, oh, you know, that might be a good game for them to win. And unfortunately, the outcome was not that. So they had a nice two-game winning streak, and it came to an end by a final score of 194. Again, Aaliyah Boston, another great game. 25 points, six rebounds, and four blocks. And then Kelsey Mitchell added 24 points of her own in that game. So again, with those two games combined and the game that they played previously earlier in the week, they are now a record of four and seven, which, believe it or not, puts them in the middle of their perspective conference. So you you alluded to it a few weeks ago. You thought the trend was they were going to start playing these close games, but it'd be close losses, then it'd be close wins. And I think other than that massive blowout that they had against, um, I'm sorry, I don't even, I don't realize I didn't put the name of the team down, but the win that they had last Tuesday by that final score of 87 to 66, again, that's a massive win. And it might be an outlier for now, but close wins turn into bigger wins. So, well, and just to capitalize on that, we knew going into the season, and this kind of draws a parallel to the Colts, who we'll get to in a minute. We knew going into this season for the Fever, it was going to be a year of figuring things out. We didn't know how long that would take. We didn't know if it would be the entire season. We didn't know if it would be somewhere in the middle of the season. But when you look at some of the trends, especially with the Leah Boston, on the season, she's averaging just over 16 points a game. But you look at the last four games that you've had here, 20 points, 19 points, 25 points. So Aaliyah Boston especially seems to have already made that turn heading in the right direction. So that and on top of the team also making that turn, things are looking up. I'm not saying that they're going to do something crazy like go on a run this year and maybe make the playoffs. I'm not ruling that out either. But it could be that that light at the end of the tunnel I talked about last week was closer than maybe anybody saw. So Definitely promising signs, maybe not for this year, but for the near future for the Fever. Yeah, I can certainly agree with that as well. Like I said, you know, Boston has really come in and, you know, people had talked about for a couple years how she was this very high consensus player. Like people knew coming into this draft, it's like, oh, yeah, she's the number one player. It's not even close. And I remember we talked about this briefly a couple months ago and I made the comment of like, Her stats don't really pop to me. But then we had a podcast where we talked about why. And it's because she was being guarded in such a way at the college level against like three or four players where she wasn't doing well. And then I remember we had looked at the WNBA rules and found out they can't guard the same way. So again, she is really able to, you know, take off with her game, I think, because again, there's not, you know, a ton of people all over her. So she has freedom to grow. But like I said, with them being four and seven, it'll be interesting to see the trajectory. And, you know, they went two and one this week. So it's not over 500 as a record for the season, but it is for the week. And, and, you know, and I I don't want anybody to misconstrue what we say. Yes. We realize it's only four wins out of 11 games, but it's all about the trends. Like me and Adam have been alluding to. And, even if that's all that happens this year is that trend continues to go in the right direction, then I think the fever are setting pretty good for years to come. Yeah, I can certainly agree with that as well. So I'll let 
you turn over the mic and go ahead and talk to about the Colts with us for a little bit. All right, let's do it, Adam. So the Colts OTAs have officially come to an end, and the next time the team will work together, we'll be down in Grand Park for training camp. Adam, you and I have both said we're both excited for that, and I'm looking forward to attending at least once. I'm not ruling out more than once, but this week I just wanted to talk about some of our takeaways from OTA. So I'm just going to go through a list of things, and we can openly discuss all of them. So first off, Anthony Richardson and Gardner Minshew both continue to split reps throughout OTAs. We talked about that a few weeks ago, but just wanted to mention the fact that it did continue throughout the entirety of OTAs. But on that note, Adam, there were some reported struggles from both quarterbacks. Kevin Bowen reported across two separate days the duo combined for five of 20 in attempts and 11 on 11 drills. Adam, is this a concern for you, or do you think this is just part of the adjustment period for both guys? Because while Minshew isn't a rookie, this is his first year thrown to some of those guys. Well, I'm going to say yes and no. I think Richardson's issues are understandable. Nothing with his accuracy should come off as a surprise. And I think, you know, we talked last week about Andrew Luck struggles his rookie year, only making 59% of his passes. You know, there's an adjustment period when you come into the league. And so for him, I certainly get the struggle. Now, Minshew, I'm a little more surprised given that, you know, he is a product of the system for Steichen. He's played under, you know, his type of playbook before. He should know a lot of the play calls so that what it says to me is there's some timing issues probably with the receivers. There's probably not the chemistry yet that you're looking for. And certainly, you know, OTAs are what, one, two weeks maybe? You're not going to get that, you know, in such a short amount of time. So on my end, it's like I'm giving Richardson an excuse, but I'm not giving Minshew an excuse. And that's especially true if Minshew is going to be the starter at any point, he's got to play better. And again, his his contract, as I would like to remind everyone, he's on a one-year deal with the team. If he struggles, he's not sticking around, I don't think, in any capacity. Well, I... I, I do want to throw this out there. This will probably make your opinion that much stronger, but the OTAs is like a six-week process. Now, the last – I think there's only like three or four days that are mandatory, but both guys were in attendance, as was the majority of the team. But to come to their defense somewhat, both of them, you mentioned it's expected with Anthony Richards, and this is his first time digesting an NFL playbook. You know, he's still pretty early on in the process, but – even for Gardner Minshew's sake, I want to make this argument for both of them. There was a lot of guys that sat out during OTAs, whether it be from injuries or something else. Even Michael Pittman Jr., you know, he had his child. Uh, his child was born, I think, pretty first week of OTAs. And then there was some, like, lingering hamstring injury or something. Steichen said it wasn't anything to be concerned about. It was just precautionary, but... They didn't get a chance to throw some to some of their number one guys. I know, I think Mo Ali Cox missed a few days. Kylan Granson missed a few days. So, if there was a defense to be made for those two, it was just the fact you know it's early. They didn't have all their number one targets. But all that to be said, I'd I'll be more concerned if that trend continues into training camp. Until then, I'll kind of I kind of save my judgments on it. But moving on from that, another. Another thing I wanted to talk about is 
Jonathan Taylor and Shaq Leonard both sat out of OTAs coming off the season where they both went through their own individual injury concerns. So my question on this one, Adam, was does one or the other concern you, or do you think this was all precautionary? What are your takes on those? What are, If you don't mind, I, I heard about it, but I still don't know what the injuries are that they're sitting out from. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is still coming off of that, what was it, uh, sprained ankle or whatever they dealt, the high ankle sprain that he dealt with for the last half of the season last year. And Shaq Leonard, I, is, I can't remember exactly what it was. He had that back issue last year. He came back for one game and then re-hurt himself or something. I haven't really heard much about either of them as far as what well, Taylor Steichen did say it was more precautionary, but the team's keeping a pretty tight lip on Shaq Leonard. So that being said, that's a, that's why I wanted to ask was to formulate a good answer for this. Um, here's my deal with Taylor. I'm not that concerned. And, you know, like when I wrote my article last week, we got a lot of great feedback. So everyone that wrote back, we appreciated it. But the one thing that kept sticking out in the comments was like the idea that it wasn't a significant injury that Taylor suffered. Now, yes, it was a nagging injury last season. And I know he had surgery near the end of the season, if not a little bit after. So him being hurt isn't as much of a concern. But if the team is keeping a tight lip on Dar- or Shaquille Leonard, I do have my concerns with that. Yeah. Again, he's missed large parts of two seasons. You know, I've talked to some people about this at length. And, you know, the time has come for him to start playing. You know, you're in a new coaching regime now. And, you know, we, we've talked about this before. You're the strongest asset you can have in any sport is availability. Yeah, Adam, I, I agree with you there. I, I don't think that Shaq Leonard would be shipped out that easily, but there is a lot of concern in my mind, too. We mentioned it. Jonathan Taylor, they've at least made announcements that this is all precautionary, and I do think that he'll be okay. But the quietness of this whole Shaq Leonard injury starting to remind me a lot of what was going on with Andrew Luck a few years ago. And I don't know if it's just PTSD or what you want to call it, but I'm sure – that Colts fans alike get an uneasy feeling when the team is so quiet about all of this stuff. But. Yeah. And, and I don't know, like you, you want the best for him. I mean, I think the thing that people have to remember is he's an outstanding linebacker when he's healthy. Again, I, I think he is a difference maker by himself. If he's playing, he is worth wins. I, I can't remember which game we went to, but he came in in like the second half of the game this past season. And then he played a few series and then he was out again with another injury. And I just remember sitting there deflated in that moment. And it's like, Oh great. He's, he's gone again. Like I'm not letting myself get hyped for his return because I guess in a negative way, I don't, I'm not expecting it at this point. I would not be surprised to see him still hurt and the team doesn't want to lead anybody on. You well, know why? Because it's the the fan base is going to start reacting. And, you know, you had all those people wanting Jeff Saturday fired and signing petitions. I think the Colts fan base would be in an uproar if Leonard is not ready to go. And I think that's why they're being quiet about it. Well, and I, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but much like I said about the whole – uh, quarterback struggle issues. I'm going to save my final 
thoughts on this for when training camp starts. If training camp comes and goes and Shaq Leonard starts on the PUP list, then that's when I'm going to raise my level of concern because there's just some things that aren't adding up. You mentioned last year he came back for that one half of a game maybe and he was out again. So, like I said, that's when all my concern level would be raised. But ultimately, like you said, he is a, a tremendous linebacker. I mean, he turns the ball over just as good, if not better, than anyone else in the league. So whether or not he plays is a big part of the success for this defense. But on that injury note, Adam, the Colts did come out of OTAs relatively unscathed as far as injury goes. But unfortunately, the team did lose their fifth-round pick, Daniel Scott. He tore his ACL, and he's going to miss his rookie season. You always hate to see injuries, especially when it's one of those later draft picks that come in with something to prove. So hope for the best for him, and I hope he gets another opportunity next year coming off that injury. And then the final thing from OTAs, of course, the biggest storyline that took place was the entire Isaiah Rogers alleged gambling. We're not going to rehash this. You know, it's time to move on from it. But it is interesting to note that there's still not been a punishment handed down by the NFL. And likewise, the team hasn't done anything then. I, I figured by now there would be somewhat of a suspension or ban granted down from the NFL. Part of me expected the Colts to maybe, maybe even release him from the team. Are you surprised that none of that has taken place yet, Adam? Well, I don't think that the, the league has had enough time to honestly go through the allegations. You know, we discussed that there is a rumored 100 different bets that he made. If that, if that number is even close to being true, there's a lot of research that they're going to have to go through, a lot of inquiries through the league. I don't think that this is over by any stretch of the imagination. Now, that being said, I am surprised the team has not announced anything themselves. You know, I think it would be better if the team was proactive in deciding what was going to happen rather than the NFL. Because I think Isaiah Rogers, as much as he owned up to everything, there has to be some sort of conversation with the team about what the next steps were. And I thought I read something like, uh, in his quote about how he was going to take his due diligence to talk to the team and figure out his next step. So hopefully he is going through those channels, but I think in terms of what ultimately will happen, I, I see a suspension coming down and then what happens next year remains to be seen. The suspension I think is going to be it. I think, I don't think there's a whole lot more, other than that, that I can see at this point. Yeah, I, I can agree there. Well, we got just over a month until training camp starts, so there will be somewhat of a lull of Colts news, I'm sure. But over the next few weeks, and I haven't even told Adam this yet, I think our majority of Colts conversations taking a place until training camp. We're going to evaluate each of these position groups, quarterbacks, wide receivers, linemen, you name it. And we'll start that next week. But, Adam, I know you have a ball game to get to here soon. So if you want, you can go ahead and move into your verse of the week. Well, I want to jump into one thing before we get into it So close off. Now, All right. last week, we, you and I had talked about my plan for, you know, our highlights around the state. And so tomorrow, Joey and I will be releasing a smaller, like 10 to 15 minute episode with some of the things that we've been missing. We want to be very intentional 
with how we go about this because I think there's certain things that like we can discuss in depth on here, but then there's like some smaller things that maybe there's not as much time for. And so we'll talk a little bit of baseball on there tomorrow. And then there's going to be something with the U S Olympics that I want to discuss real briefly as well, but that will be released tomorrow evening at some time for everybody as well. So all of that being said, my, my verse of the week is pretty straightforward. I'm going from John 5:30, and what it says is, "I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me." So, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I start getting into my own mind about what I need to do, and you know the things that. I need to get done. And I forget, you know, that I can do nothing by myself. Everything that happens is because of God. And so, again, the other part of my my verse that really sticks out to me this week is I seek not my own will. And I think, honestly, a lot of times as people, and I'm probably the most guilty person about this, I seek out what I want and what my own will is. And I think we live this life of wants versus needs where we think something that we want is a need. And it's really not that way at all. You know, I forget sometimes to take the blessings that I have and be grateful for them. And so I think we just all have to remember, you know, seek not your own understanding. You know, another verse of mine from Proverbs, you know, seek not your own understanding, but let God direct your paths. And I think that's, you know, something we can all just use a simple, quick reminder to all live by. And just to you know kind of reflect that on for myself my wife and i are in the the early stages of buying a home and it's been definitely a slippery slope you know I, as far as seeking my own will it's been trying to toe the line of what's my will what's god will am i doing the right thing so i can definitely appreciate this verse and it gives me something to reflect on and i hope it does everyone else listening yeah I certainly agree on that All right, Adam. You got anything else for us this week? Nope. Like I said, tomorrow we'll touch base on the other Hoosier highlights from around the state. I'm going to think of a real witty name or clever name. I know my buddy Tosh, who listens to us, was talking about how it seems IU biased if I call it something with the word Hoosier in it. So I'm going to think long and hard about how I want to approach the name. And we'll make sure that everybody knows what that is called starting next week. Yes. And Adam. I've told you, but I'm going to tell everyone else I'm excited to see where Adam takes this. This is this is his baby that we're going to be de- debuting tomorrow, and I'm just excited to be part of the ride. But make sure you come back tomorrow on Wednesday. I assume it will be every Wednesday we'll release, we'll release that. Me and Adam will have to work through that for sure. But So you can find our Hoosier State Sports Show every Thursday, wherever you get your – sorry, every Tuesday, Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast. This new series, Adam's rolling out every Wednesday. I'm still working on my mini-series, The History of Sports in Indiana, so a lot of exciting things on the surface. Then, obviously, you can also follow us on our website at HoosierStateSports.com. We're on Facebook, Hoosier State Sports. On Twitter, at Hoosier1, as in the number one sports. On TikTok and YouTube here soon, just at Hoosier State Sports. So, plenty of ways to find us and we, we love the conversation, so if you want to head to any of those and hop in our comment section, we'd be more than happy to have a conversation with you. And as Adam mentioned last week, 
we're more than willing to take topic suggestions also. So kind of a long-winded outro there, but Adam, if, unless you have anything else, I think we're good. Nope, I'm at my have a good week phase here. <laughs> all right, well, Adam said it best. We will see you guys all back here next Tuesday, or we'll see you tomorrow on the new series. But until then, God bless. And have a good week.